All right, friends, I want to invite you to grab your Bible, if you have it, uh, pull it out, open it up to Proverbs chapter 3. If you don't, you can follow along on the screen, that'll work too. We're going to read just two short little verses from Proverbs, really important, maybe you even learned them in Sunday school growing up like I did. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. May God add his blessing to the reading and interpretation of his holy word. Amen. So a farmer was plowing his fields, and as he worked in the hot sun and was sweating, he he prayed. He said, Lord, would you show me your will for my life? And just then he looked up in the sky, and he saw the clouds forming what looked like two letters. Uh, and, And as they drifted overhead, he began to make out the letter P and the letter C. And he thought, for sure, this is a sign from God. You know, God's answering my prayer. God's talking to me. And so he thought to himself, PC, PC. Oh, yes, God must want me to play concerts. You know, he had always wanted to be a musician. And now he felt this charge run through his body as he realized God was giving him a sign. And so he practiced his guitar every night. And he sang in the mirror and he imitated all his favorite music artists. And he announced to all his friends that he'd been called by God to be a musician. And he would play gigs in any place that would have him. Coffee houses and youth rallies and church picnics. But the problem was his singing was dreadful. He always sang off-key. His music seemed to make no difference in the lives of people. He never got invited back to the same place twice. And little children would hold their ears as he sang. And after a year of this, he returned back to the farm, and his friend stopped by one day, and he said, Hey, man, what, what happened? I thought God was calling you to be a musician. He said, Well, I realized PC didn't mean play concerts. It meant plant corn. Plant corn. Okay. So welcome to the fourth week in our series, When God Doesn't Fix It. We're talking about suffering and about faith and about the will of God. And today our focus is on discerning and doing God's will. Now this idea is based on something we said last week, that suffering is not a reason to abandon our faith. That in fact suffering can be an invitation to come closer to God, to be invested in what God wants from us, and uh, to discover that we can trust and obey because God is good to us all the time. Now there's a theological word that we give to this process, this journey of knowing and doing God's will. We call it discernment. Everybody say discernment. Discernment means the idea of developing a heart that is in line, in tune with the heart of God. To know what God wants from us and to be willing to do it. Now, the Bible says that a few of us have the spiritual gift of discernment, kind of an extraordinary God-given ability beyond what the average person can do to know the things of God. And yet, it's not reserved only for the few. So I want you to please hear me say, every one of us can practice discernment. Every one of us can practice spiritual habits that will help us to know the mind and the heart of God. And what I've found, I don't know about you, but when I'm thinking about these things, I realize that God's will is discerned mostly in ordinary ways. Right? So occasionally, maybe, it's a sign in the clouds with letters that tell you to plant corn. But realistically, most of the time, it's in music, or it's in prayer, or it's in a message that you hear, or in a conversation with someone that you trust, that you say, oh, okay, wow, God is showing me something 
here, something new, something that is for me from God. The Bible says that God has plans for our lives. According to the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, do you know this verse? I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not to harm. Plans to give you hope and a future. Friends, we want to affirm that God is at work for good in our lives. But that doesn't mean that God is coordinating every one of our movements and actions and initiating every word that comes out of our mouth. We also uh, affirm this idea of free will, that we have agency, that as human beings, God has given us some measure of power and ability to live our lives. Now, this is an important difference between our Wesleyan theology, named for John Wesley, the founder of Methodist Church, the Methodist Church, and the uh, Calvinist theology of our Presbyterian brothers and sisters. And so this is a matter of emphasis. In some sense, both are true, both are biblical, but it's a matter of what we emphasize. So Calvinists will emphasize the idea of God's sovereignty, God's power, and predestination. And they will say, look, God predestines some people to be saved and other people not. And not only that, but God will um, direct our lives so that everything that happens is what God has caused. And we would say, well, there's this thing called free will. And we can live and we can do what we think is right. And we know we have capacity to do good or to do evil. And so Wesleyans, we kind of lean on this side of that equation. Now here's the problem for me with the Calvinist theology that says God causes everything. If God causes everything, that means somehow God is then responsible for all the evil of this world. And God causes every murder and every evil and every injustice and every war. Take the example of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? So God tells Adam and Eve, you can eat anything in the garden except you cannot eat the fruit of this one tree. Now, does it make sense that God would then go and cause them to eat from the tree that God just told them not to eat from, right? That, that doesn't make sense to us. So we kind of lean this way and say this is really about God's grace and about our free will to respond to God's grace. Are you with me so far? Does this make sense? Okay. So this, this Wesleyan theology uh, holds that we are kind of like co-authors with God in writing the story of our life. God is the initiator, and we respond to God, we partner with God to discover and live out these plans that God has for us. Now this is where our terms around the will of God, I think, are helpful. These are the terms we've been using all month. God's intentional will, God's circumstantial will, and God's ultimate will. The idea is, even when God intends something good, And because of our sin or the evil of the world, there are circumstances that are less than good. God still works in those circumstances to bring something good out of something difficult, as as with the tornado that we experienced the other week. Uh, And then the ultimate will means nothing is finally or ever going to defeat God's ultimate will to save God's people, to redeem God's creation. So God has a plan for us, not in a scripted, predetermined kind of sense, but in a sense that a mother loves her children, right? When mothers, they have plans for their children. They may not have it all written out as a storybook, but they have intentions, they have designs, and they shape their lives with goodness and with love, and that's how God is with us. Now, 
What I want to do this morning, we've been talking theoretically, we've been talking theologically. I want to get really practical with our theology this morning. And I want to just acknowledge right up front, this is maybe a little dry. This is a little bit of a, a, a theological conversation. So you may not leave here this morning with that, wow, oh my gosh, that was amazing this morning. But I hope you leave better informed about how we live out our faith and practice theology as disciples. So uh, let's acknowledge that the the will of God is uh, sometimes difficult to get it, and sometimes it's really quite easy. So it's difficult in the sense that God's will is a mystery, and we can never really fully understand it. But it's easy in the sense that when you open this book, Jesus tells you what to do. He says, love God, love your neighbor, right? He says, feed the hungry. The Ten Commandments say, honor the Sabbath. They say, don't covet your neighbor. Uh, So the will of God in that sense is really clear. It's plain. It's in black and white. Now, if we're honest, I think sometimes we would say, yes, it's clear, but I I just don't want to do it, right? Or sometimes we pretend like, oh, I don't really know what God wants from me, right? And and yet there it is in the the scripture. Um, Because, friends, the truth is God calls us to follow Jesus into places that are unexpected or even uncomfortable. Raise your hand if God has ever called you into some place in your life that was unexpected or uncomfortable. Right, okay, that's a lot of us. Yeah, that's how Jesus works, right? Like he calls you to welcome children into your home who may not be your own children, to give them a place to live. Or he calls you to give away your money and your possessions to bless people who are in need, right? Or he calls you to go and bring medical care to Puerto Rico. Or he calls you to, to love that one girl, Susie, you know, who's terrible. You know, she thinks she's so great with her ponytail and her frozen yogurt. But Jesus says you have to love everybody, even her. See, so friends, my job as the pastor, as one of your pastors, is to remind you that when Christ calls you to follow him, uh, the call is to change. The call is to be different. The call is to live differently than you did before. And, And let's acknowledge that change is hard, and yet it's good, and it's right. So let's talk about ways that we can know the will of God. Uh, one of the most this in, important teachings that we have for today is known as the Wesleyan quadrilateral. I want you to say Wesleyan quadrilateral with me. Ready? Wesleyan quadrilateral. That's a big fancy phrase, uh, and the, that name itself may be new to you, but the concepts are no doubt going to be familiar. This is stuff you already know, but we're going to try to package it and talk about it in a way that makes sense for the doing of theology. So the Wesleyan quadrilateral is very simply a four-part approach to knowing God's will and doing God's will. I want you to think about them as eyeglasses, as lenses that we put on so that we can see the world around us, so that we can see how God works. So uh, the, the quadrilateral are these four components. Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Okay, so we start with scripture. The first lens of the quadrilateral is the Bible, the scriptures. And this is where this this idea of quadrilateral gets a little misleading. So the quadrilateral might suggest a square with four equal sides. It's not a square with four equal sides. The scriptures are primary. They are first and most important. This carries more authority than the other parts of the quadrilateral. Does that make sense? Okay, so don't let the name fool you. In fact, the guy who named it uh, in honor of John Wesley, he, he took it back later. He recanted and said, oh, I wish I hadn't used that word. Anyhow, that's the word we have and that's the word we use with that kind of understanding. So what does the Bible believe about itself? In 2 Timothy, the scriptures say, all scripture is God-breathed. 
and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Friends, we understand that this is an inspired word. The word inspired means inspirited. That is, full of the Spirit. In this case, the Holy Spirit. So we understand this is a living word. This is the word of God for us who are the people of God. And this is a book that's not just an ancient story about things that happened thousands of years ago. It is a book that shows us the love of God and God's design for our lives and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So we start with Scripture. The second lens of the quadrilateral is tradition. Tradition with a capital T. Now, sometimes we say tradition, we mean, uh, you know, the way we've always done things. What we mean by tradition with a capital T is the faith of the church that has been handed down through the centuries. From your grandparents and your parents, from the church fathers and mothers that has been handed down to us. Tradition includes the creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. It includes the teachings of the church mothers and fathers. It includes our hymns, our songs, our music. It, it, it is the consensus about what we believe about God. One uh, colleague, I love the way he put it, he said the tradition of the church is the grand old Bible study that we are participating in. Okay, so it's this idea that the faith has been handed down to us. Second Thessalonians says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught. How do we tap into the traditions? Well, we're doing it right now, right? We come on Sunday morning to gather with the church, which the church has done for 2,000 years. We come to hear the Bible read from. We come to sing God's praises. We say the creeds. We pray together. Uh, we give ourselves together. That is the tr embodying, embracing the tradition of the church. And those habits uh, will open up for us God's will in our lives. You with me so far? Okay, third lens. Here we go. The third lens of the quadrilateral is reason. Reason. God has given us, hey, a brain that we can use, right, to understand logically uh, faith and, and how the world works. Uh, the Bible says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. That's the idea of reason, that God has given us a maturing ability to think reasonably about our world. Now, two limits to reason, two cautions I want to give. Uh, first, beware of conscience. Beware of your conscience. Uh, was, was it that little grasshopper from Walt Disney that said, let your conscience be your guide? What's that, what's that guy's name? Jiminy Cricket, thank you, yes. Jiminy Cricket said, let your conscience be your guide. You know, that's okay, um, but, you, you know, maybe it's not. Sometimes that feeling you have inside is like the nudge of the Holy Spirit, right? You ever had that, that feeling? Uh, maybe it's the double bean burrito that you had last night. You know, but you need to discern, like, which is it? And the Bible says, test the spirits. Because not every feeling you have in your gut is from God. Sometimes it is, some, sometimes it's not. And so uh, we need to take care. The, the Bible says that the, the heart is deceitful above all things, right? We love to think we are good-hearted people, but the Bible says actually we're not. Our hearts are deceitful. They will deceive us, okay? So, so beware of conscience and test the spirits and check out what we think is true against what the Bible says and against what our fellow believers will tell us. The second warning I have for you is beware of common sense. There is a difference between using reason and being reasonable. So it seems to me that as middle class Americans, we are perhaps above all else reasonable. Have you noticed that? 
that someone somewhere along the way told us not to take any risks. And so we just live these kind of safe, comfortable lives all the time. And we give great praise to people who are cautious and who are sensible and who are rational. But you know, when Jesus calls you to some grand new adventure, it's not always reasonable, is it? It doesn't always follow common sense. When Jesus called some fishermen, like Peter and James and John, he said, hey, I want you to leave your nets, leave the family business, leave your mom and dad, leave your hometown, and you're going to come with me, and I, you don't know where we're going yet, but just trust me, follow. That's, that's not reasonable, right? I mean, can you imagine what the parents said? They were like, no, don't do that. You know, what about the family business? We talked last week about the missionary doctor named Rick Sacra, uh, who went to Liberia, and he was working in Liberia, and he contracted Ebola. And then he got better and he went back. That, friends, that's not reasonable, right? Common sense says you don't go back to the place where you got sick. But he went back because the call of Christ is to do something extraordinary. 1 Corinthians 3 says, The wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Okay? So friends, sometimes what our conscience tells us, what other people will tell us, uh, is foolishness compared to what God would have us do. And what God would have us do may seem foolish to them and to us. The fourth lens is experience. Experience. Experience is the idea that we live out our faith in our bodies, in our lives. Now, experience is not a source of truth, the way that the scripture is a source of truth. When experience becomes a source of truth, this is what you hear people say, um, well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Right? That's a slippery theological slope, isn't it? When we, each of us gets to define what is true or not true. And so experience is not a source of truth, but experience is a way that God confirms in us what we know to be true in the scriptures. And we know that experience matters because God has experienced our life in the flesh through the ministry and life of Jesus Christ. And so Faith must always be lived out. It's never enough to just have intellectual agreement. It is a life that we live. So experience matters. Now, in line of these ideas, I want to kind of share with you three guiding principles. Uh, if, if you have a takeaway today, I hope these would be the kind of things that you would take away with you uh, around how we discern and do God's will. And so the principle number one is this. God loves you and leads you from right where you are. I think some of us think, well, I've got to kind of get my life together first, and then God can use me. Friends, no. God loves you and leads you from right where you are. The story goes, there was a man driving to New York City, and this was in the days before Google Maps. So he comes down the road, and he sees a kid out in the field, and he like rolls down his window and says, hey, excuse me, young man, can you tell me how to get to New York City? And the boy replies, mister, if I was going there, I wouldn't start from here. <laughs> right? God... <laughs> God can start right where you are. You know, you don't have to change or be different for God to work with you right where you are, friends. Now, that's good news. I want to suggest it may also be hard news because some of us, and I'm talking about myself now, we like to know way in advance what to expect. Are you a person that likes to know what to expect in life? You like to have the plan all laid out in front of you. You know the plan, you work the plan, and you never deviate from the plan. And, well, you see, God doesn't necessarily show us the whole plan all at once, does he? Sometimes he just gives us just enough for today. And so that, that takes a lot of patience, that takes a lot of trust. Uh, but the, the truth is, and the good news is, God loves us and leads us from right where we are. Principle number two, discerning God's will is not the same as getting approval for our own. Did you know that? 
right? There's a difference uh, sometimes between what God wants from us and what we want for ourselves. Uh, the story goes there was a man, he was offered a, a new job in a new city at three times his current salary. And the word got out around town that he had this great job offer and a man was passing by their house and the daughter was out on the sidewalk and he said, hey, you know, what, what's your family going to do? You know, are, are you going to stay here or is your dad going to take that new job? And the little girl said, well, mommy's praying but daddy's packing. Right, So we all have kind of different approaches to are we going to just kind of run ahead and do our own thing and ask for God's blessing later or are we going to seek the will of God so that we can do that. A third principle is this, friends. Learning God's will happens in relationship with God. That makes sense, right? Now how do you know uh, what your friends like and dislike? How do you know what their dreams are, what they're afraid of or what they're passionate about? You spend time together, Right? You spend time in the company of your friends. Well, God invites us to do the same. And the way that we can know God's will is time spent in the company of Jesus Christ through prayer, through fasting, through Bible study, being in our life groups together uh, with one another. Friends, this is how we can know the will of God. You know, I, I think some of us need to change our approach. I think sometimes we treat God like a GPS and we only go when we get lost and need directions, right? Instead of treating Jesus like our friend and teacher who wants to walk with us all the time through life. Let me leave you with, with this, Proverbs 3 that we read from earlier. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. I just love that. It's like a beautiful invitation to discern the will of God. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Remember, friends, this is a matter of the heart. Now, if you're like me, you might think it would be great if this was a matter of the mind only, if we could think and know. As long as I know and understand, then I'm good to go. But the scriptures say, no, actually, it's, it's a matter of the heart, which means it's a matter of faith. We, we've got to let our heart be in line with God's heart. We have to trust what God wants to do with us. It's an act of faith. And, and not only uh, that, but all your heart, it says. Give God your whole self. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on what? Do you remember what it says? Your own understanding. Oh, it's so tempting to trust our own understanding, isn't it? It's so tempting to want to retain control of our lives and think we've got it all figured out. But when we're, I think on our best days, when we're honest, we would acknowledge like our understanding is, is really small. It's really finite. You know, God is huge and we're so small. Uh, God is a mystery that we cannot comprehend. And so the invitation instead is to, to lean on God, to trust in God's mercy and grace for us, to pursue the things that only God can show us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. Now, some of us grew up with the, the phrasing, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Do you, anybody learn it that way early on? Yeah, I learned it. In all your ways, acknowledge him. But honestly, I feel like acknowledge is kind of letting us off the hook a little too easy because it's like a, a tip of the cap to God, like, hey, God, you know, I'm going to go do this thing. I hope it's cool. The, the, the New International Version says, in all your ways, submit to him. That's a different thing, isn't it? Yeah, because submission means not what I want, but what you want. You know, there's a reason that Christians pray on their knees, because the body posture is a sign of submission. It's saying, Jesus, you are the Lord, and I'm not. 
God, you're God and I'm not. And by the way, that's a good thing. That is a really good thing, that God is God and I am not. In all your ways, submit to him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Friends, when you submit your life to God's care, God makes paths for you. Notice, it's not just one. There's not just only one tiny right way to live your life. There are many ways that God is leading us. There are many ways to be a disciple of Jesus. And God will make your paths straight. Friends, I want to encourage you today. When you submit your life to Jesus Christ, God can and God will show you his preferred future for your life. I know there's a lot of things uncertain in this world. This is certain. Let's be thankful together, shall we? Mighty God, we thank you that you have loved us so well and so generously and with so much wisdom and foresight. We thank you, God, for this promise in your scripture that we can submit ourselves to you and that you will make our paths straight. And show God, so God, show us the way forward today. We pray for clarity and confidence about your will for us so that we can know it and do it. In Jesus' name, amen.